earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today we'll start a new study, taking a closer look at the book of Colossians. Our series title is, Don't Lose Your Head, inspired by Colossians 2.19. And the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Today, part one is called First Things First, as we begin our journey tracing the idea of the supremacy of Christ in this incredible letter to the Colossian Congregation of Christ followers. Friends, I thought back to a time when I saw people in strange white toga-like outfits chanting or singing repetitious phrases in drone-like melodies. Or I'd notice certain people in airports or bus terminals, even on the street, thrusting books or flowers in my face. Perhaps you've seen curious people on bicycles with cookie-cutter black-and-white shirts and ties, carrying backpacks. Maybe you've even encountered a well-dressed family with children, stopping in front of your house or ringing your doorbell. By now, friends, I'm guessing you've already put names to these groups, either lumping them together into a general category of cults, or perhaps due to their reputation or your own personal experience, a particular cult's name just flashed in your mind. You may even write these people off as crazy, thinking one or more of these groups merely comprise misfits. You might even have heard through a friend of a friend or saw a TV news flash or soundbite about a family that hired a private detective to get their daughter or son back. A daughter or son that maybe took on a new name or was surrounded by a strange circle of allies. Perhaps you've had or have a friend even now that appeared normal until one day, without warning, just snapped. That friend may even have altered her or his appearance, changed her or his hairstyle, and now is spouting a new strange vocabulary. The best explanation you can come up with is that your friend has been brainwashed. After all, their new conversation is that you're missing out on the most wonderful experience of life. And if you just happen to be uninformed, not up to speed or out of the loop as we say now, you might simply be perplexed by the new and strange religious ideas and practices your friend's been hawking. In a quandary, you might even be trying to comfort yourself by thinking, well, I don't understand this newfangled religion, but if it makes them happy and they're not out on the street committing crimes, I guess I'll just let them be. But if you're a Christian, a genuine Christ follower, a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you have a decent working knowledge of the Bible and its teachings, you know full well that that daughter or son, that relative, that friend, that co-worker, even that face on TV has gotten mixed up in a cult. 
Friends, cult groups come in all flavors now, don't they? I think back to a time when certain classic cult groups peddled their false beliefs. They were easy to spot, easy to distinguish from standard biblical Christian teaching. But now, these classic cult groups have improved their PR and marketing strategies. Some have even redesigned their Bible or key book to look more like a typical Christian study Bible, with center column cross-references and study notes at the bottom. Friends, it's clear to me that these groups are working overtime to gain acceptance in the broader Christian community, even saying things like, but we are Christians too. Ah, friends, the devil has gone to college. He's got his degree in theology now. The devil has gotten smarter. After centuries of battling against the church, after playing tug-of-war with the church, he realized he could be more successful if he just stopped fighting the church and joined the church. Have you noticed, friends, this new generation of names of some of these groups? You know, the church of fill-in-the-blank or the blah-blah-blah church. Again, fill-in-the-blank. I remember a while ago, a friend called me to see if I knew anything about the Church of Science. At first, I thought he had the name wrong and even suggested some other possible names, but he had the name right. What's most interesting about these groups is that they realize they can't just write off the Christian Bible or the person of Jesus Christ, so they develop their own peculiar understanding of both and the role each plays or degree of authority each holds in their own religious system of thought. Friends, what often makes many of these groups attractive is they promise the pathway to a secret, hidden knowledge available only to those who follow them. In other words, only those initiated into their religion. Friends, Ecclesiastes sure hit the nail on the head, didn't he? There is nothing new under the sun. Well, the first century city of Colossae turned out to be the perfect breeding ground for what we in our day would label as cults. Several hundred years before the Apostle Paul shows up, Colossae was a leading city in Asia Minor, now present-day Turkey. It was situated on the Lycus River and on the great east-west trading route leading from Ephesus on the Aegean Sea to the Euphrates River. In its heyday, Colossae was welcomed a steady stream of Oriental traders who brought with them a different set of mysterious religious beliefs and ideas. Colossae, friends, was also home to a fairly large Jewish population who fled there during the persecution of Antiochus III and IV some 200 years before Jesus was born. But sadly, by the first century, Colossae declined into a second-rate market town. Two neighboring towns surpassed it in power and importance, Laodicea and Hierapolis, both mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. The precise mysterious religious beliefs and ideas are somewhat difficult to pin down or even label, but they appear to fall into two categories. First, an extreme form of Jewish legalism, and second, an early stage of what's become known as Gnosticism, spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, meaning knowledge, 
Gnosticism was the epitome of syncretism of that day. It was a mixture of fusion of mythology, ancient Greek philosophy and culture, Oriental religions, Babylonian astrology, Iranian dualism with Zoroastrian roots, angel worship, and it's also eventually co-opted some ideas from Christianity. And friends, Gnosticism turned out to be the ultimate example of the blender religion. You know, throw a bunch of religious ideas into a blender and zzzz, mix it up and pour it out. Voila! Oh, but we don't have that going on today, do we? Gnosticism and its accompanying thought processes was very influential, and it was a constant threat to the church in the first three centuries Bible scholars generally believe Gnostic doctrines and ideas were confronted and condemned not only in the book of Colossians, but in the Apostle John's three letters in First and Second Timothy, Titus, Second Peter, Jude, and possibly First Corinthians. We'll continue this look at Gnosticism as our series unfolds. Suffice it to say here that the church has had its problems shaking off Gnostic influences throughout the centuries. It reared its ugly head again in the 12th century and traces of it surfaced in the 19th and 20th centuries. Friends, Gnostic underpinnings can be traced to any philosophical or religious system that doesn't accept such commonly held fundamental Christian doctrines present in the divinely inspired Judeo-Christian scriptures as the personal triune God, the virgin birth of the historic person Jesus Christ, the atonement, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the possibility of cleansing from sin while here in the physical body, to name a few. Gnostic ideas, friends, have absolutely and secretly infiltrated our modern thought processes. This may come as a surprise or a shock to you, but Gnostic ideas have even found a home in a segment of the evangelical church. Why Gnosticism even became an issue in the New Testament, and particularly Colossians, is the fact that during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus, Epaphras got saved. Epaphras then brought the gospel to Colossae. Soon after, this fledgling congregation became the target of false teachings, heresy as we call them. This led to Epaphras traveling to Rome to see Paul, who was under house arrest. It is believed that this exchange led Paul to write the letter to the Colossians. So friends, let's turn to this incredible letter. Colossians, together with Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon, were all penned by Paul during his first imprisonment in Rome, an imprisonment not like we'd typically imagine, for here Paul was under house arrest, as I mentioned, paying rent for his own living quarters, but this arrangement gave him the freedom to have visitors, and why Epaphras was permitted to see him. You can read more on this in Acts chapter 28. Today we'll look at the opening 12 verses of Colossians, setting the stage for the overarching theme of this letter, the supremacy of Christ in all things. And, friends, parallel to supremacy is sufficiency, for not only is Christ supreme or preeminent, but he's sufficient. In other words, nothing else is needed. And Christ is complete, and in him we are made complete. In other words, in him we lack nothing. Well, friends, because of these ideas, I've subtitled Colossians, The Book of Priorities. Ouch! Now, there's a sensitive subject for us Christians, right? Priority living? 
Write that in your Bible next to the book title, Colossians. So, friends, here's the first 12 verses of Colossians 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all of God's people, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Notice faith, hope, and love mentioned here. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You have learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. Or, this may be understood to mean, he is ministering on our behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Now, listen to this prayer, friends. Why not pray this for yourself or over people you know and love? We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Another way this phrase may be understood is all the patience and endurance you need with joy. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Wow, friends, isn't that an awesome prayer? Get to know this prayer well. Pray this prayer for yourself and for other believers you know and love. I promise you it'll make a difference in your lives. Friends, let's go back to verse 1. Paul was chosen by the will of God. Isn't that where the battle begins? The will of God? Are you a strong-willed child? Do you have battles of the will with your heavenly Father? Already in the first verse, Paul is testifying that the will of God is his first priority. Paul has submitted to the will of God by accepting his apostleship, his calling, if you will. Over 18 times in his letters, Paul says this in one way or another, like Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, or Paul called as an apostle, or Paul appointed as an apostle. These phrases mostly appear in his opening greetings, but sometimes they're sprinkled throughout the body of some letters. Friends, I propose that this idea should lead us to ask ourselves a sober question. Is the will of God our first priority? In Mark 3, 31 through 35, Jesus' brothers and sisters are looking for him. You know the story, right? Well, the crowd said to Jesus, your mother and brothers are looking for you. Jesus replies with, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. 
Okay, you see, friends, the quintessential example of submitting to the will of God is Jesus himself. You recall the Garden of Gethsemane scene, right? In Jesus' prayer to his Father, he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's in Luke twenty-two forty-two. Again, Jesus hits the nail on the head when he said in John seven seventeen, anyone who chooses or is willing to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Friends, my opinion here is that needless battles in the church today could be avoided if the will of God was our first priority. Now, you might rightly say, but Pastor Tom, how can I or how do I find the will of God for my life? Let me say this first, friends. Discovering and living out the will of God is not as mysterious and complicated as some people make it. My personal take on this is that first and foremost, we must distinguish between the will of God and the direction of God for our individual lives. 99% of God's will is spelled out in his word. We have three trustworthy sources for discovering and doing the will of God. They are his word, his spirit, and his church. And by church, I mean godly pastors, leaders, or solid, trustworthy Christians. And we must seek them in that order. Now, we've all been guilty at times of running around and asking other people what they think we should do or what they think God's will is for us, right? Friends, it's time we grow up and start seeking God ourselves, seeking his word, seeking his spirit, and then seeking confirmation from his church through godly leaders and godly friends he has placed in the body of Christ. Friends, I can't stress this enough. When the will of God is our first priority, we will be at least six things the Apostle Paul hints at in these opening 12 verses of Colossians. He then develops these as his letter unfolds. So let's look at these six things together, okay? Here's the heading. When the will of God is our first priority, we will be... First, we will be faithful people... Paul's introductory greeting is addressed to faithful people in verse 2. They're faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. He then elaborates on this in verses 6 and 7 using Epaphras as an example. Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ. Now, don't let minister throw you and think it's only meant for ministers. Two different words are used here for servant. The first means a slave. Epaphras is a slave of Christ, totally subject to his master, Jesus. The second word, minister, is also a form of a word for servant, meaning a humble occupation, waiting on tables, so serving others. This seemingly simple phrase in verse 7 really says Epaphras is a totally devoted slave of Christ and he's a servant of Christ and for Christ by serving others. Now that's faithfulness. Second, we will be graceful people. Paul's greeting in verse 2 includes grace and peace to you from God our Father. He also says in verse 6, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it 
and truly understood God's grace. Friends, let's be honest for a moment. Sometimes we're not the graceful people we ought to be because we don't understand God's grace and all its truth. Peter had to instruct his flock in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, Paul in Colossians 4.6 embellishes on this outworking of grace in our lives with a practical application. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We're only to season our conversations with salt, not be known as salty people. Hmm. Can we say that our speech is always gracious? What are we known for? Saltiness or graciousness? Third, we will be thankful people. Note verse 3, we always thank God when we pray for you. And then in verse 12, in his prayer, he prays for the Colossians to give joyful thanks to the Father. Then in chapter 2, verse 7, he commends them for overflowing with thankfulness. Imagine that being what you're known for. Friends, thankfulness appears several times in this letter. Scope them out as you read Colossians. Fourth, we will be prayerful people. In verse 3 again, there's, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verses 9 through 14 is Paul's incredible prayer, which begins, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, and then follows his list of things he and Timothy are praying for. As I've said, friends, make this prayer your own. Pray these things for yourself. Pray them over others you know and love. Prayer is integral in this letter. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Fifth, we will be fruitful people. Chapter 1, verse 5 trails off with, You have already heard in the true message of the gospel, to which, verse 6 continues, that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. In chapter 3, specifically for slaves in their earthly service to their masters, I believe Paul paints a picture of what is expected of all of us Christ followers. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving." In other words, it is your master, Christ, you are serving. Can you see, friends, how this could apply to our behavior at our jobs? Not only toward bosses, but to fellow co-workers. Sixth and finally, friends, when the will of God is our first priority, we will be joyful people. Chapter 1, verse 11, Paul prays that these Colossian Christians will be strengthened with all power according to his might so that they may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father. And as I said, this phrase may be understood to mean so that you may have all the patience and endurance you need with joy, always thanking the Father. 
Friends, I believe two options are equally true here. Joy flows from thankfulness, and thankfulness flows from joy. It's amazing that Paul includes joy in this letter, since he was under Roman house arrest. In Colossians 1.24, he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering. So, friends, these six qualities kick off the letter to the Colossians and result from the will of God being our first priority. Remember, first priority is equal to the supremacy of Christ in our lives. And why part one is first things first. Colossians 1.18 says in part, He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So, friends, please don't lose your head. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I appreciate those who share your feedback on programs that impact you in some way. A listener recently wrote in with reference to Part 9 in our last series. Read the manual, our look at the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, with thanks again for encouraging us to read the manual. Put on the armor and always be prepared. Never leave home without protection as the devil is lurking around every corner. Well, thanks for your encouraging comments. And remember, friends... That A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing you, please become a Friend of the Word support team member, especially now during these challenging financial times. Your faithful and sacrificial support keeps this program on the air. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at awordfromtheword at minister.com. That's awordfromtheword at minister.com. 